Uh, turn, if you will, to Philippians chapter 2. This morning we'll be looking at uh, verses 19 through 30. Uh, for those of you that are using a pew Bible, you'll find, that on, you'll find that on page 981 in your pew Bible. This is God's holy and inerrant word, so let's pay close attention to it. The word of God. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Gracious Heavenly Father, in our scripture reading, we heard this morning that we should not have our minds conformed to this world, but we should have our minds transformed by the renewing of our minds, rather. And so, Father, as we come to your word this day, we ask that you would indeed renew our minds through the preaching and the hearing of your word. Mold us and shape us into the image of our Lord and do so all to the praise of your glory. Amen. In 2011, Pat Robertson, while hosting his show, The 700 Club, Evangelist Pat Robertson, stated that it was okay for a man to divorce his wife who had Alzheimer's because Alzheimer's was a kind of death. You should know, folks, and recognize that central to this assertion was a concern for the man's happiness, not the wife, his ability to enjoy his life. On multiple occasions, my wife and I were told to abort our daughter, Delise, because her sonograms revealed that she was multicystic and would more than likely be born Down syndrome as a Down syndrome child. Part of the implication here, or what we were being made to think, is that we wanted, we needed to enjoy our life, to, to not be hassled, that we needed to take action to ensure we preserved our right to a pursuit of our life, liberty, and happiness. Fact is, that is the precise reason for the mass majority of abortions that occur in what is considered to be the most advanced nation in the world. Again, it's the me, myself, and I mindset 
what I call the MMI complex or syndrome. Remember that, MMI. And as we know, it started in the garden with that old serpent deceiving the mother of all living. He did so by causing her to focus on herself instead of the one source of every good thing she had. You know, now that I think about it, you know what Eve should have said to that old serpent? Wait a minute. Aren't you that fool that got kicked out of heaven? Who does that? If I follow you, surely I'll get what you got. And sure enough, that's what she got. She got kicked out of her home. Instead, then she went down. Instead of not listening to the serpent, she went down the same road. He did. That is the path of seeking one's own. Listen to the words of her counselor as communicated in Isaiah 14, 3-4. Satan said, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Five I wills, me, myself, and I. Those words, that heart, got him kicked out of his home, heaven. Now listen to what he said to Eve. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. He says, I will make myself like God. And he tells her, you will be like God. The scripture then reveals Eve's mindset. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it said, and good for who? Her. And that it was a delight to the eyes. Delight to whose eyes? Hers. And that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. Make who wise? Her, me, myself, and I. So when she perceived these things, all her thoughts were turned inward. Me, myself, and I. MMI. Just like Satan. Adam followed her down that path, and the rest is history. In Genesis 11, mankind was still under the cultural mandate to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over it. Not just over Babel, not over the city of Babel, but over the entire earth. But now instead of doing what they were called to do by their maker, owner, and sustainer, we hear these words in Genesis 11. Come, let us build ourselves, me, myself, and I, a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. The people of Israel were called to reveal God to the rest of the nations, but they failed miserably. Instead of revealing him, they took on the veneer of a people filled with a national pride, which was brought about by an identity tied to God, but not a reputation as those who served and represented him well. There was no greater representation of this abdication of their duty than that of Jonah's refusal to seek and to pray for the salvation of the Ninevites. They were not from his people, not his ethnic group, and so he hated them and wanted their destruction. In fact, going back in Genesis 4:26, we hear these words. And at that time, men began to call upon the name of the Lord. But by the time we get to chapter 6, we hear that every thought and inclination of man was evil, self-centered. 
And then as we enter the book of Judges, after all the wondrous works that are recorded in the Pentateuch, the first five books, after all those works that were wrought by the king of glory, we hear there arose a generation who knew not God, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And then we walk into the, the New Testament and we find that even the people whom Jesus himself called were wrapped tight in the MMI condition, just as those who were their greatest supporters. We find Judas died as a result of that condition. In Matthew 20, we find the opposite. We find the apostles James and John, mother, asking Jesus to grant that they would sit on his right and his left hand when his kingdom was established. In Galatians 2, Peter, thinking about the preservation of self under the scrutiny of the Judaizers, separated himself from the Gentiles, even though it was God who gave him a vision which directed him to fellowship with them. So brothers and sisters, the verdict is in. Throughout redemptive history, we have a record of people listening to the voice of the enemy and doing their own thing. This indictment still holds today. The Apostle James reminds us of that very fact by asking a question and giving us the answer. What quarrels and what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly. Wrongly how? To spend it on your passions, me, myself, and I. In all our relationships, the natural tendency is to first think about me, myself, and I. But what we've been exposed to in this chapter is one who left the riches of glory, took on the form of a servant, and was obedient to the point of death. In Matthew 4, we learn that that one went into the wilderness and was tempted at all points, the pride of life, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes. He was tempted and yet did not sin. We learn that he responded to all temptation by quoting and obeying God's word, not questioning it. Through scripture, we learn that he will, he will always perfectly, he always said his will perfectly in obeying and fulfilling the will of the Father. And as such, it was a joy that was set before him. It was for the joy that was set before him that he endured all, he suffered all, and triumphed overall. And now through the Apostle Paul, in the enablement of his spirit, he's calling us to have that same mind. And that is what we find here in this passage. Three, not two examples as is always communicated, and I actually named uh, the title that I gave, but three examples of men who by the work of God's spirit were devoted to him, were Christ-centered in their thinking, and thus Christ-centered in their actions. And that's what I want us to see and look at this morning under three headings. Paul, the dependent. Timothy, Timothy the proven servant. And I provide, <coughs> Epaphroditus, the sacrificial servant. So first, Paul, the dependent. 
through Scripture, we know quite a few things about Paul. We know that he was called to service by Christ himself on the road to Damascus. This so after having been the greatest persecutor of the church. We know that he was as committed to Scripture as anyone who ever walked on the face of the earth. But you know what really sticks out in this text and should cause us to do what Paul calls us to in 1 Corinthians 1? That is to be imitators of him as he is of Christ. It's his posture of dependence on Christ. At this point, Paul, who was in prison in Rome, was a well-established leader of the church, one who wielded significant influence, sway and influence. If Paul had a request, I'm sure there would have been plenty of people who would have jumped at the opportunity to fulfill that request, even in some cases if their motives was not right. That is, in fact, what we do see in Scripture. So wielding that sort of power and influence might tempt one to go about doing things on their own. We do it all the time, all the time, in areas where we're experts or we think we're experts, in areas where we think we have it all under control, we do not turn to God. We do not recognize his providence and his sovereignty and that the fact that he's the one that's working in and through us to accomplish his purposes. No, we go on our own. But listen to what Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight your path. Here in our text, Paul wants to send Timothy, his son in the ministry, to the Philippians. But notice how quickly he recognizes God's providence in the lives of his people. He says, I hope in the Lord. He knows Proverbs 16, 9, the heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Paul had already personally experienced this in Acts 16 when he tried to speak in Asia and go to Bithynia, but was directed instead to go to Macedonia. He responded like Christ did, perfectly obeying the direction of the Spirit. Paul was not sinless like Christ. He was not perfect like Christ. But time and time again, we see as an example that he depended upon and acknowledged God's providence in his life. Do you, brothers and sisters, recognize and acknowledge God's providence in your life? Addressing this very thing the Apostle James wrote, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So again, I ask, do we recognize and acknowledge God's providence in our mind? in our lives. It is that mindset that Jesus had, that he always recognized the will of the Father and bent down to it. So I tell you what, the way that we can, the way that we can do this is if the second thing we see here concerning Paul is operative in our lives. Look at verse 24. Paul says, I trust in the Lord. No one will depend on anything or anyone they can't trust. Paul ultimately had no way of knowing whether uh, or not he would be returning 
to Philippi. But he knew he could trust in, in Christ to bring his, that is Christ's purposes, to pass. So just as Jesus was completely dependent on the Father and, and trusted him, we see Paul here and throughout Scripture living a life that was totally entrusted to Christ. Can we say the same concerning our lives? Are we totally entrusting our lives to Christ? Are we living in obedience to his word because we trust him? Now on to the two examples that Paul provides. First Timothy, talk about a high level of commendation. Paul says, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. And why not, Paul? Because they're all seeking their own interests. M-M-I. Not those of Christ. Here I'm once again reminded of Matthew 7, 21 that says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Jesus makes it clear that the folks in that passage were operating in the MMI zone and it was a consequence of not being in a right relationship with him. Not so with Timothy. He knew Paul's Savior as his own and thus shared the same love that Paul had for those that belong to Christ. He served faithfully. That is what we're told here. But we should also know that service, his service was a manifestation of his service to Christ. His service to Paul was a manifestation of his service to Christ. And that's why we read he has served with me in the gospel. Listen, show me a servant, a Christian who truly experientially understands and lives in light of verses 6 through 11. That is what Jesus did and preceded by verse 5 that tells us to have that mind. Show me a Christian that is experientially living there and I'll show you a Christian who loves God's people who forgives others as he or she was forgiven and who can be trusted with the things of God, which includes his people. Timothy, in contrast to the others Paul alluded to, did nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility counted others more significant than himself. He looked not to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. That's verse 3 and 4 of this same chapter. This entire pericope is about having the mind of Christ and the examples of that. And so it was an exhortation that was given before we were told why we should adopt those virtues. The reason being what Christ did. As a result of his faithfulness, that is Timothy, as a result of his proven record, Paul is eager to send Timothy to the people of, uh, to the people. Question, can this be said of us? Can this be said of you that we are genuinely seeking that which glorifies Christ? That we came to grips with our MMI diagnosis. 
repented of it, continually repenting of it because it's following us. It's the old man and are now seeking to serve with our brothers and sisters in Christ in a selfless manner. Can we say that about our walk, our commitment to Christ, our desire to have the same mind? Tell you what, let's keep that question close to our hearts as we look at our third example of a Christ-shaped character, the man Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus, who I'm going to call Brother Epa, was a native Philippian. He was sent by his people to provide care to Paul. On his way to Rome, he became gravely ill, near to death, Paul says. Now, in keeping with the train of thought included in this passage, as it relates to the Christ narrative that I alluded to in verses 6 through 11, notice what verse 26 says about Epaphroditus. He has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. He longed for them and was distressed, but not because he was ill, not because he was sick, not because anything, but because they knew about the fact and that it was causing them to feel out of certs. He was concerned because they knew that he was sick and that was causing them to feel out of sorts. He didn't want them to feel out of sorts. In other words, because his primary concern was for the things of Christ, because Christ's interests were his primary interests, anything that took the people's focus away from Christ was distressing to him. Anything that pushed against their joy in Christ was a concern to him. Paul shared this same concern, and that's why he wrote, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Paul wanted to assure them that he was okay so that they would not be in distress over him or over Paul because Paul was telling them he felt okay also. Now, you know, as I read this concerning Brother Epoch and the fact that he did not want others to know of his distress because he didn't want them taken away or distracted from the things of Christ, I couldn't help but reflect on my time as at General Assembly and, and, and at a certain issue. As I thought about uh, Epa's disposition, I couldn't help but reflect on a certain moment at our de denomination's business convention, if you will. It was when we were debating the issue of whether or not Christian ministers should be able to identify as gay Christians. It struck me that those who were speaking in favor of that particular identification were doing so all through MMI constructs. Oh, you know, for me, it felt this way. Oh, I've, I've, I just want, look, years I've been struggling and I just want, and everything was me, myself, and I. I didn't hear any reasoned talk, thoughts that flowed from Scripture, utilizing Scripture to make a point. It was all centered on me. But here you have a man that doesn't want people to think about him if it's going to cause them to stumble or to walk in frustration or sorrow. He wants them to be whole so they can think about the things of Christ. So it seems to me that I don't want to call myself a thieving Christian to have you guys holding fast to your pocketbooks when I'm walking by you. 
or anything else for that matter that will cause you to think about things that are under the sun rather than the things that will cause you to walk with Christ. I don't know. So listen, I'm going to end this particular passage by noting that Paul calls Brother Epos his brother, his fellow worker, and fellow soldier. All three of those are chock with both meaning and significance. But the word I'd like to hone in on this morning is soldier. If there's one thing that the Apostle Paul understood is that we are in a war. It's not physical, but nevertheless, it's a war that manifests itself in all sorts of ways, of physical ways. In Ephesians 6, Paul wrote, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. He also penned these words. In their case, the God of this word has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of Christ, who is the image of God. Let me get right to the point of what I'm saying here. Soldiers either keep the peace through proactively practicing their craft, or they're engaged in war with the goal of winning, thereby restoring order. There is no time when a soldier just stands around and is completely disengaged from the mission. Having served in the United States Navy, I understand that. We were always practicing or we were always engaged. There is no time when you just stand around. And he uses the imagery of a soldier here. There is no time, brothers and sisters, when a Christian is called to stand around, not pray, not serve, not sacrifice, not fellowship. That's why we always say if you can't do anything else, pray. If you're sick, if you're shut in, if you cannot make it to church, if you cannot fellowship with your people, pray. You are an MVP. If the Bible says the prayers of the righteous avail it much and you do nothing else but pray, you are doing a lot more than just anything, than nothing. So all of us are called to be engaged. Our society, why are you saying this, Dean? Because you see selfless work here and it takes selfless sacrificial work to impact our culture for Christ. Our society is going to hell in a handbasket. The God of this age is indeed doing a masterful job of flooding the airwaves with antichrist sentiment and instruction. Again, notice what Paul said Satan's operation is all about. To keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Listen, there's something else that I noticed at our general assembly. When it came to the, the votes and the significant issues of our day, the conservative block prevailed on every issue, but a great many of the dissenters, as evidenced by those who went forward to record, they wanted their names recorded that they voted in the dissent, in the no. A great majority of those guys were as exactly as Greg Johnson, who is the leading voice, described. He said they were young, the next generation of leaders. So let me tell you, we have a clarion call before us. It is to disciple our younger generations, the ones who have been entrusted to us, 
They are the ones that need to be disciples in the orthodoxy of Scripture. They're the ones that need to be instructed in our confession. They're the ones that need to know that they are to serve Christ and not themselves. They're the ones that need to know that they're to serve others before themselves. We are the ones that have the mantle of discipleship upon us. All of us, not some of us, not those who preach, not those who teach. All of us have that mantle. And it starts in the homes of the people of God. We are the ones that are called to do that. I thank God for the faithful men in this church who make up our session. For our deacons who likewise are committed to scripture and committed to Christ. For our women who are in fire for his glory and thus like the Bereans are searching the scriptures daily to see if that which is stated is so. What we see in our church is the opposite of what Pat Robinson, Robertson called people to do. What we see in our churches is opposite of what the doctors called us to do. We are known all over the place for the way we see those who are special needs. We don't see them as less than us, but we see them as equal to us, not because that's not the point or the fact, but because it is the fact. And they have a great ministry to us. They teach us how to love. They teach us how to be sacrificial. They have a ministry just as important as any other ministry any one of us have. And so we see all that. We see the evidence of God working in and through us and causing us to act selfless. But we also see if we know and understand ourselves, we also know that the old man is still clinging to us and we're still operating in me, myself, and I in our marriages. We're still operating in me, myself, and I in all sorts of different ways. And what the Lord wants us to do is come out of that. Have minds like him. Pray and have the Holy Spirit guide us to acknowledge him to acknowledge God in all our ways and allow him to direct our path. Three examples of faithful men seeking the well-being of Christ's people before themselves is what we saw this morning. Doing so as a consequence of the relationship with Christ and the accompanying heart for his people. I pray that God would impact our hearts for his glory as he did theirs for his purpose. I thank God that he's been doing that already, magnificently, wonderfully, and we have no one to credit but him and to thank but him. And, made, and let it be so, because we always want to be those people who say, pray, Lord, that everyone would recognize that because we are a city on a hill, not because of our goodness, not because of anything that we've done, but because of your grace and your mercy and your willingness to use us for your glory. May we be that people with servant hearts and servant minds before the throne of God for his grace, for his glory and for his purposes. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the examples that have been provided for us in this passage this morning. We pray that by the power of your Spirit, you would enable us to emulate 
the Christ-centered, sacrificial character we've witnessed in these men. Give us the grace to stand when we're weak and the humility to see when we consider ourselves strong. Use us in the expansion of your kingdom. Equip us to accomplish what you will. And do so, Lord, to the praise of your glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.